What's up? It's Tommy Green. You're listening to the Rev Talks podcast brought to you by the Rev Gatherings, digital tribe of up-and-comers, emerging leaders, doing our best to keep in step as the face of the church changes in our generation. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome home. If you are a returning visitor, hiya. Feel free to subscribe, share it around, give us a five-star review. Tell somebody. If you like what you hear, please let us know. You can reach out to us at therevgatherings.com. Feel free to email us at therevgatherings at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. The cloud. Okay, welcome everybody to the Rev Talks podcast. So excited. I'm, I can't even begin to tell you guys how pumped I am because with me today is a very old friend in this kind of spiritual journey with Rev and um, just a total dynamo of totally like a, a normal, a, nor, a civilian, a civilian in the fight for, I don't know, man, a sincere and substantial human. Keep going. I, I want to hear where this goes. Yeah, my friend Kelly Criswell, who, who is one of the first dudes that I met that was succeeding in, in the church and ministry world at such a high level was confronted with his own weakness in ministry had a a dramatic a dramatic revelation of what failure really meant what success really was and truly became a second chance kid in ministry and that's when i i was actually able to meet him and uh but he's he's the gifting and the calling of God that's on his life is truly like, it is irrevocable. There's a mark on his heart, which is amazing. And his, uh, he and his wife, Jen are both gangsters. And so I'm so excited that Kellen Criswell is on this podcast. So Kellen, my friend, my man, how you doing? Um, Hey, we were just talking. So I will just jump into it. What, what were you saying? The joke is on who? Oh, we're talking about our little pandemic glorious moment here, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and the the legitimacy of house expressions of gathering as the church, you know. And I think we were saying the jokes on everybody who has taught trash about house church movements as such. Like, is it real church if you don't have your own property? You know that kind oh, of thing. Man. And um, and you know, here we are, where depending on where you are in the world, it's not everywhere, but you know, I'm in Orange County, which ironically it is, you know, where the, I work at a mega church. Um, and so going through those waters right now, but there's lots of mega churches around here, you know, so we're having to go, Oh, (laughs) like if we can't go back to simplicity and just church, just being God's people with God himself, uh, then there's some, there's some real problems, you know? And so (laughs) jokes on that. Yeah. And then, you know, just also like in our, my particular context, even things like banning on singing in, uh, we can't sing in our buildings as the church. And so for years we've said worship isn't just singing and the church isn't the building, it's the people. But here we are, I think with an opportunity to grow deeper with God into who we really are in those areas. And yet the knee jerk, maybe surprising reaction, even to us of our own hearts is to fight for this thing that we've always said is not synonymous with who we are. We're not just singers. We're not just gatherers at a building. We're a people. 
but uh, we have a Holy Spirit opportunity to put our money where our mouth Come is on. right now. <laughs> that's so sick. Yeah, it's interesting that I think that's, and that we were talking about it because, and we'll get into, maybe you can speak to it even just briefly, but like your, your background was as not just your own, uh, a pastor or teacher, preacher, evangelist, mission kind of heart, but you also were sort of tasked with helping to launch and start and build small churches, church planters, send out leaders. And so there really is like a different reality um, by necessity right now. And it's very interesting to be a dude that knows on some level, like what's the blood and guts version of Christianity that we grew up on Mm. versus what is allowed right now. It feels like we, it feels like we should know how this goes, but I just, I'm intrigued to know we were talking about Rev and like, it, I feel really, I feel really called to, and I'm just saying this, I think the vision for what we're doing in our community is to create small church and home church gathering points for the next generation of kids coming up. And I just feel like to be the people that we kind of needed when we first got saved from whatever culture we were coming from. Um, and that's Rev specific. I just felt like, yeah, it's the Rev house movement and that's where we're going to be a part of. And there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of glory in that for me. I, I don't feel disappointed to not take part in the bigger thing, whatever that mm-hmm. is. And I think we've all been saying it for years. It's like small isn't the new big. I really believe small is the most significant many mm-hmm. times. So that's where I've been for a while. It's very interesting now to have the big thing suffer in some really tangible ways and realize, wow, like we really are all that we have. And mm-hmm. If we don't know how to pivot, man, people are really going to get kind of shipwrecked attached to a system that won't help them. That's a preaching thing. What I'm saying is I'm intrigued because you are in the heart of a massive church movement. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very close in proximity to governmental decisions within that group. There's a whole fellowship of churches worldwide. You get to see behind the curtain. You get to see the beautiful vision. You also get to see where the bodies are buried. Like you get to see all the stuff. And so I I really appreciate your perspective because I think we don't mind the pivot, but we also come from a culture that a lot of people don't have experience in. And they might be, they might be really shocked at how easy it is for us to go. Not a big deal. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that it's, I mean, all of us are on a continual journey of God graciously and relationally bridging the gap between our head and our heart and our character, you know, and I think that this is one of those times where those of us who happen to have come from more an expression of the people of God or the church that we didn't even realize how much of it was really um, an organization versus the organism, uh, a corporation versus a people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't even realize how much it was kind of about those things for us until this moment occurred and it's exposing stuff. And like with any of us where God graciously uses whatever is happening in life to, for our good, for our benefit, um, for going deeper with him, for being more self-aware, we have that range of reactions to it where uh, it can be denial in one sense. It can be, uh, guilt and it can be 
excitement. It can be all kinds of things depending on who we are and where we're at and how important the thing that's being exposed has been to us. And so I think that one thing both in the, in the big organizational style church world and our spiritual family who's been in smaller, less complicated expressions have an opportunity to do right now too is like as God is having grace through this process of revelation into all of our hearts with us to have grace for each other in that process of revelation. And it's, it's interesting because I think on, on this one side, this kind of world that I'm in right now, uh, we need a lot of grace to not immediately be able to see the blind spots that God is exposing and, and seeking to grow us through. And yet on the other side, uh, there's a, those of us who come from maybe smaller, less formal expressions of gathering and things like that, uh, we've got a crossroads as well because we're at a crossroads where we can now choose a path of pride and arrogance and say, yeah, well, you all were a bunch of it. fools yeah. anyway. We yeah. told you. Yeah. Wasted all that money, didn't you? <laughs> sure. But, sure. but or, or like Jesus, we can uh, walk with, celebrate, uh, affirm, the the way that god is using this for relationship with him and each other and we can uh, but we can also without being arrogant receive an affirmation from god that like see i saw you and uh, and you you know i remember you you and i joking about um putting a certain slogan on t-shirts uh <laughs> i don't think i'll repeat it on the podcast because we might lose our christian credentials but uh <laughs> <laughs> here I go undoing everything I just said, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like Rev is church as the bejesus, you know, let's yeah. just put it that way. And, um, and it's like, but that was coming out of it in a, in, in a certain level, um, whether, however much you cared or we cared or whatever, there was just the knowledge that you're the model or expression of gathering is looked down upon by some because it doesn't have this bell and that whistle and this location and that thing. And so, so how do we now as the church rise above these things and not use these as new sets of ammunition uh, and join the cause of the serpent, but rather use these as new expressions of opportunities for humility, encouragement. Yeah. I see that blind spot in you. You see it in me. So how do we walk new in this way together? So. Yeah, that's legit. Okay, so I hear the I hear the opportunity for both. You know, it's like both of us have a lot, like uh, both sides of big church, uh, more traditional styles of church, organizational ministry. Um, really, that's a high level responsibility to take care of all of the complexities of these really huge fellowships and lots of people, lots of real needs, service at a high level. That comes with a lot of responsibility. And a lot of people would rather just opt out and do their little things. So they don't have to actually lead at that level. Mm -hmm. So there's like, we can't miss one another in the terms of like all that. So there's an opportunity for both of us to actually stop for a second and listen to the Lord. So we don't miss it. Um, and I think that's really, really good. Okay. So talk a little bit about how did we meet? Um, I think we first met and we didn't know it um, back in the hardcore scene of Salt Lake City in the 90s. And we were both in the straight edge Salt Lake 
Ogdenish. I was Ogden. Sorry, uh, that was that actually existed. I don't know if you realize that. But <laughs> yeah, had no clue. We had no clue. We didn't pay attention, dude. Come on, where are you from? So, it's like an so, hour and a half to get up there. That's so crazy. the so the gent the gentiles from Ogden would come down and hang out <laughs> with the uh, esteemed and noble straight edge community in Salt Lake City. Yes. And uh, I yes. think that's where we first met, you know, in our pharisaical. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but, yeah, so we met back then, uh, ran in the same crowds. We weren't close at that time. Um, paths parted. You know, my, I moved a lot as a kid. I picked <laughs> up my parents' nomadic ways as I dropped out of high school at 17, like many of us did. And, uh, you know, we had found that family in hardcore and in straight edge and so on. But anyway, I had parted ways, gone a different route. You were living your life. I'm looking at this from God's vantage point, I suppose. And yeah. uh, Jesus found me at a certain point, And he found you at a certain point. And years later, uh, I think we had both been um, being used by God in spiritual leadership and different things like that had families and everything. And uh, I, I went through a really crappy time <laughs> by my own choices and really kind of tried to repartner myself to the serpent at, at a point in my life and my marriage and, and uh, did everything I could, as you know, to destroy my marriage and my family. And, mm -hmm. uh, and as God brought, part of what God did to bring me through that time, and this is connecting back to how we became uh, what I say to so many people about you that you're my brother, but um, is God use, you know, sometimes when you're in the, the deserts of delusion and deception, God uses creative things to speak to you. And, and at that point in my life, I was trying to listen to non-kingdom music and anything to get the voice of Jesus to turn off. I didn't think of it that way, but that's really what I was doing. And he just started speaking to me through like non-Christian punk bands and stuff like that. And then uh, one of my friends was into this band, Sleeping Giant, and I'd never heard of you guys as huge internationally as you were. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, 32 but, kids, Topeka, <laughs> Kansas, no problem, you guys. <laughs> this, yo, this is fame, bro. <laughs> but you're known in the, in the halls of heaven, man. You're known in the <laughs> Yeah. So, so anyway, my friend, he like, he shows me this band and I, I was like, man, you know, I, I really resonated with the style, the sounds. And I started listening to that, going to the gym, trying to have some healthy part of my life. And then God started to speak to me through this music, man, and through the words that he put on your heart that you put into a recording process he had intended for specific moments for me running around a track at a gym. And, uh, in conjunction with that, this friend also knew you and they uh, started saying, hey, man, because at this point, you know, God's speaking to me through your music, through some other things. He's starting to stir kind of a repentance for me. Wow. And then um, ultimately through a series of things brought fruition to that work of repentance that he was working in me. And then my friend says, hey, I actually know that guy He's, does a, a house church down in Salt Lake City mm -hmm. and we should go down there. And I'm talking to another friend and, I, and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, this band, man, it's like God's really using this in my life. This guy, Tommy. And, and then there's uh, this church saying, and he and my friend who was also part of the scene back then, sorry, this is so long, but it's the story. So he, he pointed out, he's like, yeah, man, I think that guy, Tommy, 
was one of the guys that jumped your brother Logan <laughs> at a undying show or something like that. And I was like, what? And, and it, it was this weird flood of epiphany because in a moment I was like, dude, I wanted to kill this guy for like ever. Like was, you were totally on that people to kill this. Like if I ever see those sons of, you know, those mother crushers, it's going down. And then, uh, but in a moment, it's like God's showing me, you wanted to kill this guy. I just used this guy to save your life. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's a, what's that verse about the ashes and the kind, you know? And I was like, okay, so anyway and i think when i met you eventually i showed up at your house and you were you were you and chrissy were kind and gracious to us and said hey let's go out to coffee and i think that was my opening story to you as i used to want to kill you man but <laughs> and then you know what like we could talk about redemption all day long just the fact of how uh, our relationship and how you know those twists and turns and uh, we wouldn't have been brothers years ago you know so. oh man gosh it's so cool so you end up in my house i'm teaching and i remember you came in and me chrissy and bethany jenkins we all said when you walked into the room you didn't say anything but i was preaching and i remember both bethany and me were like i just kept looking at you because you were really loud in the room even though you weren't saying anything. And I just was like, who is this guy? And Bethy was like, yeah, he was loud. Like he was very loud. In the, like, who is this human? And so it was really interesting to hear your story of really like just being so, I think you characterized it as be going through a season where you're in ministry, you're connected to the purposes of God, you're doing the Christian thing and you end up so deceived through a whole matter of circumstances that you said when God really began to turn the lights on, even in your relationship with Jen and your family, everything that you were losing, you said you had to essentially detox out of how deceived it felt like you were in your mindset, that it was like poison coming out of your soul. And I think there's a lot of people that need to know on some level that it's really possible to come out of a pit even if you make it yourself and so yeah if you could share a little bit about what was it like in the when did the light like really begin to come back on for you in the midst of when did you have to when did you decide to surrender again man there's so much to what you just said um yeah i mean i'll just say for one thing because of, you know, I've, I've lost, I guess, to me, the biblical, one biblical account that I really relate to is the story of Lazarus, um, who was, for those of you who may not know, he's a dude who was dead and Jesus raised him from the dead. <laughs> and he was a follower of Jesus before that. And I've always thought, I bet Lazarus believed that Jesus could raise people from the dead all along. Hmm. but tell you what i bet after he died and jesus actually raised him from the dead he believed it in a whole new way and (laughs) and uh that you know i didn't physically die and i don't really care about people's particular theologies on 
losing salvation and things like that, you know, all I know is I loved God. There was a lot of a big part of me where I was trying to follow God. I was doing what I thought he wanted me to do. And yet I was able to allow things to be planted or maybe never uprooted in my heart and life that led me to a point where I was, I won't say I was dead to God, but I was so delusional, deceived, a madman in the wilderness. I was not walking with God, you know, and, and what we're talking about, I, to, to then be resurrected afresh. And I had preached to many, I had said to many that before that, Hey, just, you know, trust in Jesus, follow Jesus. He's going to change your whole life. He's got the power to do this and that. And I had already seen him do great things in my life, but this is one of those marked exclamation point moments in life where, uh, I had to have a whole new lesson in humility of who I really am apart from God and my continued need for his grace and empowerment. Uh, or I can be uglier than I was before the first day I had met Jesus, even as a pastor, you know? And so God, like you know, that, that, that light in you becomes darkness. How great is that darkness? Man? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm in a place today, like, cause you said people need hope. Uh, where I would say there's nothing I could ever hear as far as a, some, a, a person's story about a dark, poisonous place that they're currently in that I could not hear with optimism for them about what God can do by his grace. Because I haven't seen everything, but I've seen, I jokingly often say I'm the worst person in every room. You know, you were talking about seeing behind the curtain of big church and stuff. The worst curtain I've ever seen behind is the curtain in my own heart, you know, and, oh, oh. and, uh, but also behind that curtain is the son of God. Yeah. And he was seen behind the curtain before I ever even knew the curtain existed. And because I was actually his son, wasn't going to just let me wander off behind the curtain into the shadows and not go in after me. So he, he did it. He does it. And if somebody does stumble onto this, who feels like they are in a place where there's the voice of an enemy saying to you, you will never get out of here. You will never be loose of this. There will never be an escape. Um, he's just scared because he know, I think he's, he's wise enough to know all of that is BS. And, and, and he's seen God a thousand upon thousands, upon millions, upon billions of times, uh, show him for the punk that he is Come and on. just reach into that and pull us into the light afresh again, you know, so uh, you're not beyond God's reach and he's, his eye is still on you and his hand is still on you. And, and, and you, you can and will be free, you know? Yeah. That's what's up. <clears throat> Dang. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking a little bit about, um, well, I'm thinking a few different things just cause I'm just getting a kick out of it all. Um, Talk about what you had to do in order to be restored by people. 
Mm. What was that process like? Because you can be reconnected and reawakened and refreshed by the Holy Spirit in a moment. What was a real practical process of being restored, respected, recommissioned even by other humans who seem to be, if grace is a roller coaster, like Christians seem to be towards one another and I'm this way. So I'm like going to own it. Depending on the offender, we can be in the back cart of that roller coaster and we're the last to the top of the hill and we're the last at the bottom to like really welcome people. So you had to go through a process of being seen new. Mm -hmm. What did you have to learn about people for the people that are like, yo, God's already, I'm good. Why are you guys being such like jerks or why, why can't, why don't I get treated better by people? What, what is an encouragement you have for people that are going through the process of being renewed or transformed in some ways and it's like the people in their lives are the last to know yeah gosh again i mean we could talk about hours about all these things but um the biggest thing you know i guess one thing i want to say is that when we go through these dark these dark things and everybody's got their version of darkness that they have to navigate by the spirit of God, you know, but um, I'll just personalize it. I feel like if my goal was to get people to, um, if I was stressed out, cause I feel like they were more, they weren't acknowledging what should be acknowledged in my life. Cause I've been changed, man. <laughs> like I, I think that that would have been betraying that I wasn't getting it yet. Yeah. Uh, and I see that I've seen it since where, you know, I can have all this hope for people who go through drama like I have that they can come out of and I believe it. But when I, when I reach out to somebody like that to, to try to resonate with them, if they're, they're talking about like, yeah, but you know, it's all grace and these people just don't get it. Um, I know there's a side where the church has been abusive and unwilling to forgive. I acknowledge this, you know, but when I hear that, I, I hear a heart that's not yet, getting that it, that the smile of Jesus is what's important and that they're, they're still wanting there's an unhealthy desire for this recognition about something you know that and, and again I'm not saying I don't want to oversimplify because there's a need for affirmation in many ways but there's a version of this that it's not that it's it's you still wanting something from the the eyes and smile of men and it, it could be the, even like an idolatrous kind of thing where that's like what your, your identity is depending on still. And, um, and, and I'm not even suggesting that any of us are going to get to a place where we don't care about what people think, but I'm just, you know, I think you get where I'm coming from. But um, to me, the thing, when you, when you really get wrecked and shown for who you are to yourself and you get a deeper work of self-awareness uh, the other thing that, that happens is you become, you get God awareness, you know, you get, you get grace awareness and that fixates your eyes on Jesus and that becomes enough. And that should make you not demanding that other people validate uh, what you're experiencing. It should make you understanding and patient when they're not understanding, but you're cool. You're content because you know, God gets it and he's got you where you are. And, and in that sense, so I want to share two verses if you don't mind, man. Um, 
this is the thing you're going through uh restoration there's a side where people's affirmation is essential and there's a side where only god's affirmation matters okay and both are true at the same time and we have to let god just make that true you know so i'm thinking of galatians 6 and and these were verses for me this is what we lived out of i'm not just saying here's a bible study you know so on the on one side for those who might feel like i don't need the church in my process of restoration you're wrong and he says brothers and sisters if somebody's caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently watching out for yourself so we need those human agents of restoration tommy was that in my life chrissy was that in my life and in my marriage and others were part of that restoration posse as god kind of put this mosaic together Uh, brian broderson's a like a spiritual dad to me down here you know and and you need like tommy's saying people to look in at you they they know you too well for you to pull the wool over their eyes and they can they know where you've been but they can validate where you are and they can be guides along that that road with christ we need what god only chooses to do through other people it's not always just us directly to him it's us directly to him through another person and so you need but he has he said a lot in his word about the kind of person that makes a good agent of restoration. Yeah, and people that's who right. are humble, who are gentle, mm-hmm. who you know all of that stuff. James has a lot to say that. So you're not just looking for anybody with an opinion about your life. You can evaluate by God's help and His word the right voices to speak into your life. Uh, but you need it. So the other side of this is uh, the other verse that the. the spirit really spoke to us through was first peter five um i think it's verse 10 uh the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ after you have suffered a little while even when it's by your own doing (laughs) yeah he will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen and just to say, as I'm walking with people and there's this process, God's doing the restoration ultimately, even when he's using humans, right? And, but both are necessary because we, we are the church. It's not just I am the church. We are the church. And so God wants to use agents of restoration in our life. So I know that I'm cool because God's doing it and he's with me. And, and that's all I ultimately need though I do need people at these levels. But the point of this is to say, in reference to your question, there were times people were more angry at me than my wife was <laughs> about the things that we went through. But because I had the vertical restoration thing with God, and there's a peace in that, there could be a humility toward them to even say, look, I know what God's doing in me. My wife knows what God's doing in me. My friend Tommy knows what God's doing in me. And I don't have to control what God's trying to do in you through this moment. And I can even hear what you're saying, but I don't have to let it own me or attach itself to me. And I can just acknowledge that as your, your transformation process that you're going through. And so it's really, it's really both just receiving that grace from God, letting that be the truest thing about you 
cherishing the human instruments of restoration and then just allowing the people who are having a hard time accepting it to just let that be their journey with God is how I've processed that. Mm. I think that's really helpful, especially for people right now who are, I think there's a lot of people that are essentially they're, they're on the edge of breaking relationships, breaking connection, turning their back on one another, you know, isolating from people, whether it's politics or worldview or pain or whatever that it is they're going through. I think there's a lot of people that are having a hard time knowing the balance between the cosmic affirmation of who God is to our soul and the depth of who we are. And then the neighborly affirmation of those that you run alongside. And I think the one place that I've been drawing a lot of maybe strength from is in the song of songs where she says, as I, as the watchmen made their rounds, they beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak. And it's like in our bridal journey towards the bridegroom. Hold up. You, you went totally silent on me and started sounding like a robot. Oh, I'm sorry. Now, now you're back. So okay. song of songs, go for it. Song of songs where <clears throat> she says, the watchmen beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak. And so just the idea that to be aware that we do some of our deepest learning as Christians with the other people that are Christians that we feel like should be looking out for us. And there's times where you're going to be embarrassed and hurt and exposed by people that love Jesus. And it's in those moments you have to begin to like really come to grips with how important your ego is how important people truly are how much more important is that affirmation from the lord and then where like you said like i don't need to take control of your journey if i'm bringing up your issues that's for you and god i don't need to yeah. wear those right now and know that that moment is more about where they are than yeah. it is about who you are you know yeah. Yeah. i think that's i'm just experiencing it just in interpersonal relationships and just going wow like we really need to be conscious of the fact of like there's a few different conversations going on right now <laughs> like there's me and god god and me me and you you and god god and you and me and you and me and like you, know, you and whoever pissed you off earlier that you're taking out on me like whatever that is you and your parents me and my parents <laughs> yeah. the lack thereof you know <laughs> totally. okay so i think that's super helpful because i guess what i'm saying is i know that that the word, the word that brought me a ton of, of strength that God spoke to Jen, your wife, was, I'm going to take you from water to wine. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what we're talking about, is going from one version of life-giving to a totally new expression of who God is in your life. And I think a lot of us are in that journey, especially with I would just say this within the faith realm, there's a lot of people that are putting most everything that they've brought to their Christianity. Like a lot of things are just coming back on the table. They're just willing to like, yo, I don't even know what's real anymore. And so I'd rather them look at it as a process of who are you? Who is God to you? What's really important and what really isn't like, what is actually trustworthy and what is really not trustworthy. So you shouldn't put your trust in that can love it you can appreciate it but what is trustworthy is you and god is god's ways is his culture his virtue his presence his instruction his spirit his character what's not necessarily trustworthy is everyone's interpretation of how that really plays out in systems and structures and community groups necessarily but there's a lot of people i feel like that are ready to burn it all and just walk 
So talk a little bit <clears throat> for my homie Joe, who wanted to hear this, talk a little bit about being an anarchist punk rock kid <laughs> and where did Jesus meet you? Like finding Jesus where he didn't belong. So where did Jesus find you? How did he speak to you before you were even aware um, or you were just opposed to, but just talk about that kind of place in your life. Because I think a lot of people are going they're they're burning all the rules they just are over the rules they're over the structure they're over all of it and yeah. it can be beautiful could be revolutionary could be reformational but it's also really hard and it can be really brutal on our own souls in the process so talk a little bit about being an anarchist kid and where jesus showed up for you yeah yeah, man, I was really confused then as well. <laughs> like, I couldn't even figure out my scenes. I was like a punk, straight edge, anarchist, vegan, hardcore kid, which is some of them didn't even get along, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's a real thing. Yeah. And I, one thing like for, you know, million dollar word worth the price of the podcast, I didn't, um, I was really, I, I know now that I was really postmodern and individualistic in my worldview at that time of life. And yeah. when I say postmodern, I mean like a radical commitment to solidarity and radical self-definition and expression. Like that to me is, that's even the spirit of our age right now is mm -hmm. radical solidarity and the commitment to the idea of radical self-definition. Yeah. I define, you define, you don't define me, I define me, you know, and then any way that you want to express your definition of you, all is fair, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. um, and no authority, but this authority, you know, all of these kinds of things. And, and I actually, you know, uh, even now, like I look at, you know, I mean, people listening to this will probably be at least loosely familiar with words like Antifa and <laughs> you know the, the thing going down up in Seattle that you know the, the Chaz or whatever acronym we settled on up there but like I would have looked at that and felt like we're doing it back yeah. then that's been an interesting yeah. thing to watch like I look at Antifa I'm like oh dude I would have been so fired up to see it happening mm -hmm. and uh, and I think now it's it's so interesting to look at because I think that part of the problem is this um an overly optimistic anthropology <laughs> like for for the anarchy of the way that I defined it in the past to work. It really depended on people being basically good and reasonable. Yeah, it's like it's still based <laughs> on cooperation. It is. It is. It's and, like and, we're, we're and believing in a compassion cooperation like, while yeah. we burn your world down. But we're good. We're going to work together. Yeah. And who's the referee when we don't feel like we can cooper cooperate? Because as soon as you have one of those there's an authority structure, there's the presumption of values and moral laws that we're all supposed to be uh, operating by. And, and why? And I, yeah, and, and my, my goal isn't to like beat those guys with the stick. I actually think there's a lot of ways my anarchist heart is still present with me, but maybe being better directed. You know, it's like I use the term sanctified subversion. Yep. instead of just subversion and so yep. you know um so anyway not not to go on and on about that but yeah i i mean my parents divorced when i was 11 and for me my parents became my punk and hardcore albums and uh i didn't realize i was going to church back then but you know i think that i mean we would show up in buildings 
in large gatherings where we would all sing songs that we agreed on the core values of, and then guys would basically preach from the stage. I'm like, it's kind of church, you know, and we would, we would organize and go on mission or like street teams and we would evangelize with our tracks and our zines and stuff, you know, but um, yeah, that, that kind of, that was the, the forces influences shaping my worldview. And so I got into the anarchy thing and resonated with all of that. And that ultimately took me to Portland, Oregon, because, uh, you know, especially back in like the mid nineties, I, I looked at Portland, they were, Portland actually was weird then because it was different in ways that it's not as different anymore as the, you know, as people are adopt the, the postmodern worldview is more permeating society at large over here. But anyway, I looked at that and thought, man, these people get me, you know, so yeah. I'm going to go there. And I went there and I, I, I was, uh, committed anarchist. Uh, the only thing stopping us from bombing capitalism off the face of the planet was resources and courage, you know, and, uh, um, and I was vegan. I was working for the human rights campaign, uh, canvassing for gay rights and things like that. And so anyway, that's where I am. I'm not when Jesus found me, you know, uh, my dad had, he had, he like sort of grew up Christian, but not really, and yeah. had somehow met Jesus in the 10 years prior uh, from the point that I actually met Jesus. And he had started sharing with me a bit, we, but we would, all we would really do is argue about that man-made God that was, that, that man-made book that about God that was invented to keep the, the poor poor and the rich rich, you know, and all this kind of thing. And, um, you know, so that's where I'm at. I'm not looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for anything. I'm, I'm, I find it repellent. And I mean, honestly, it, it, this will sound cliche, but it really was one day, you know, God just reached right into my dark little world and just shed some light, you know, and for me, that was, I was chilling at a public library in Southeast Portland, because I didn't believe in having a job and, and, uh, paying for my own internet. <laughs> so I'm um, using the internet and I was up there looking up some stuff on the computer. And there was this, for me, it was like the spirit just gave this revelation. Uh, it's one of those times you feel it's like in two seconds, it feels like you had a two hour conversation, but yeah. in this case with a person who doesn't exactly exist or that you don't, you don't see, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, for me, it was like, basically God just called out all of my virtue signaling and showed me the inconsistencies between my virtue signaling and my professed uh, worldview about God. So basically what he was showing me is here I am fighting for so many things that are right and, and I'm fighting against so many things that are wrong. So I've got this clearly deep convictions about the reality of an objective right and wrong. But alongside that, I'm, I'm working for the human rights campaign and I'm contending as a basis for morality that everyone is equal. Everyone's equal. You can't tell me what to do, but I'm contending for right and wrong. So I'm essentially telling you what to do. You yeah. Know? And there's an inherent contradiction there. And basically what the Holy Spirit walked me through is he's like, Kellen, you're so convicted about right and wrong, but you're convicted about equality well, aren't you just one of 6 billion humans in the world at the time? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. So what is it that gives you the right to stand outside of this massive humanity with whom you're all equal and decide for everyone what is right and wrong? Wow. Yeah, that's, 
that's a good point. Like, why do I think I can write a rise above? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then the follow-up question, thank you, Holy Spirit, was, uh, and yet you're very convinced that right and wrong exist. We're all hardwired to believe in some sense of right and wrong. We might disagree on the definitions, but we all essentially believe it's real, you know? And uh, so if, if you didn't come up, up with that, and these other 6 billion people didn't hardwire that into themselves, and none of you get to define it, then who do you think gets to do that? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, it was like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I just, I had, to, I had to look up and be like, wow, something above us has hardwired this sense of justice and this need for justice into humanity. And, and they have to define it. And I can't set the stage. And, you know, nerd theologians, I would learn later in life, call that the moral law argument for God, that we all have this sense that there's, there's morality in this world. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, that like, it messed up my brain. I didn't know what, where I was going with this. I went home that day to our house of atheists and agnostics. And I found a Bible that was like a really bad translation, but apparently Jesus was okay with it because he used it, you know, and I start reading this Bible, the new century version, I think, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I'm reading it. And as I read the book, because of the spirit, you know, it read me from the inside out. And I was, I was in Romans seven specifically reading Paul, brother Paul's writings about how basically he, he came to this realization, you know, a lot of our friends used to wear shirts that say like God free and I'm so free. And, you know, that's our thinking. Yeah. Uh, but I was shown that I was a slave in spite of my false sense of personal autonomy. And in Paul's story where he says, there are things in me, and, and true about my life that I shouldn't do and I shouldn't want to do them, but I cannot help but do them and want to do them. And there are other things that I know I should be doing and I should want to do them and I can't make myself do them and I can't make myself want to do them. And I read that and I thought, that's me. And Kellen, you are not near as free as you thought you were, are you? You can't even control your own inner world, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and it, me, for me at that moment, I went, dang, if this book's reading my mail that closely, then whoever wrote this must be right about the other things it says, who is this guy? And it's Jesus. And I called my dad, super confused. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can get baptized or something's going on with me, man. I don't know what this means. <laughs> so, and my dad, who had shared no. the, mes- the message of Jesus' oh. rescuing love with me so many times before, retold the story again to me but i heard it for the first time you know and and, um so that's that was my you know i literally went from radical militant anarchist (laughs) antifa in a moment to oh my gosh who is this jesus and what does this mean for every single sphere and layer of my life and that began a journey you know but clearly it wasn't the typical Christian testimony where I was like, and I've glowed with the Shekinah glory of God ever since. You know? <laughs> like, who who no. are those people? I, I, you, what is typical about that? That's wild. <laughs> Man, that's, that's so cool. That makes me so excited just to think about what that can mean for a lot of people right now as, as we all sort of grapple with where did we get our rules? Like, you know, where, where did we get our boundaries? Where, where did these come from? How, how, what is it in our heart? We're, we're longing for love or 
pure, pure something, acceptance, connection, the human experience in a beautiful way. Why? What? Why? Like, why? And I, I can't help but feel like the fingerprint of the God of love on our journeys, you know, and we, we, I, I, yeah, I feel like everyone, I want everyone to just bump into them at some point, man. I just feel like that's, that's become my interior life for a long time. But I just would say it. It's like, I feel like I'm better for Jesus weekly than I am daily. Cause if I try to get like daily on it, I end up getting all like weird, but then I bump into him in the hallway and I go, Oh, and he's in there. So I think what a beautiful moment. Yeah, man. Where'd yeah, you get your rules? Where'd that come from? And you go, oh, huh. You're a good question asker, God. That's wild. I never thought about it like that before. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I think, too, that, like, I mean, those of us who have kids and any semblance of God's heart, we want our kids to grow, but it's not because we're manufacturing a product that we just can't wait for them to become, you know, like, you want them to grow because you love them today. And as they circle back in certain struggles, your love and commitment doesn't wane and diminish and, and, and go up and down. And sometimes I think people think of Christian growth. that it's like, God's like trying to create this statue or this trophy. You know, sometimes we use well-intended words, but it leaves a unhealthy paradigm, I guess. And, uh, so, you know, we'll talk about like, God's trying to make the trophy, but you won't let him be the trophy kind of thing. And, and it's like, God's not thinking of you like just a purely a finished product. I don't think he's nearly as stressed about the fact that we're still dealing with things as we are sometimes. Come on, bro. That's exactly the dude. And that's not, that's not this weird, um, you know, the old school word for it is licentiousness, but like this. Ah, God's gracious, so just whatever. That's not what we're talking about. It's the most beautiful part of learning. Yeah. It's learning. It's like learning to do it. I don't know how. It's like, well, don't fail. It's all failure is absolutely part of the process. Yeah, and because relationship is more the objective than the finished product outcome, God's happy to go through the nitty-gritty, dirty, clean thing. And it's, you know, change is is I believe in spiritual power. I believe that God radically heals. I believe he does things in an instant. But I also see Paul at the end of his Christian earthly journey saying, I'm the chief of sinners. And that to me isn't him being fatalistic. It's not him being depressed when he was writing that day. I just think the more you grow in the awareness of God's grace, the more you grow in your awareness of how much you need it. And you just forever keep saying, man, I'm so thankful for the grace that still remains and gets bigger. Yeah. And, and that's what changes you, the kindness of God that progressively leads us to repentance and transformation, you know. But it's a lifelong slow cook for all of eternity, I think, even thing. And God's okay with that because he has us in the journey, which was really the goal anyway. The point, the yeah. point is like, you want the debt or do you want the love? I want the love. I don't care about the debt. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, that's really good, bro. Wow. Well, I'm going to say this before I will bring it in for a landing. Like what and I've been just asking most people. So it's 2020. We're in Corona camp. Who knows what the heck is going on for you, for Jen, for your kiddos. What, as people hear this, 
that care. Um, what can we be believing for, for you guys, with you guys? What can we be believing for? When, whenever anyone hears this podcast and they go, yeah, I want to pray for Kellen and, and Jen and like his kids, like what, what is something that people can be believing for, for you guys? Yeah. You know, I think that the biggest, and this, this could be one of those things that you think, you know, but you really don't know. And sure. again, God's working it into you from head to heart. But I think one of the biggest realities that God has been waking us up to that it's one of those things. I think we don't understand how many blind spots we have surrounding this reality. We think we get it a lot more than we do. Yeah. Is that God is way more concerned about what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. And God is way more concerned about having you not just work that he's benefiting from that comes from you. God is way more concerned about having you than having an employee. And, um, He's concerned about our being before he's concerned about our function. We believe this weird lie that you are what you do and what you do determines your worth. And that is a satanic, demonic, life-destroying lie that especially as individualistic, functionalist Americans, I mean, this is why anybody you meet, hey, what's your name, Kellen? Cool. What do you do? Yeah. Because you are what you do and what you do determines your worth. That's true. And, and, in and, yeah. and God's God is relational yeah. at the core. That's the Trinity. That's why he made humans, not robots. That's why he came to redeem relationship with us, not employee employer uh, stratification types of things, you know? And so this is, I'm saying that not to teach, but to say that this is, this is, I feel like the deep journey for us right now is to really believe that he likes me every day. And he, um, and that while he, he likes to do things through me, it's always preeminent to him who I am with him. Before yeah. That, you know? yeah. And, um, and I think honestly for our Christian family, of all denominations and shapes and sizes and weird theologies and stuff included, we are swimming in the cultural waters of functionalism and individualism. And we don't even realize how many layers at how many layers at which we believe that lie, that what you are is what you do and what you do determines your worth. And I think it may, it's probably not the whole thing, but it's at the core of lies that we have to expose and overcome by grace to live into the fullness of what we have in this treasure called Jesus and, uh, and to, and, and for church to be, especially in weird times like this, that, that treasure of the people of God, yeah, uh, under the smile of God, united by the spirit of God, with the message of God's rescuing love for all, all nations, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think believe, pray that we, that that reality will shape our emotions, our hearts, 
our life, our words, our connection, our vital connection to God. And that out of that, actions can actually come that matter <laughs> into this world. So I think, uh, I think that's the, ver the verse I'm going to pray that I feel like has to do with that, right? To make it legal for all the people that are like, where's the Bible, right? Because I know there's all these people, right? Probably not my listeners, but you know, like just people <laughs> that are like, well, what? But I really do think, I mean, one of the foundational verses that I got when I first got saved, the first thing, like it was one of the first things that he spoke to me was that, what do we do to do the works that he requires? And he says, believe. It's like, what do we do? And he goes, uh-uh. But believe, bro. Like, it's, a, it's not the do. It's what's in here. Like, yeah. And so I just think about that. Like, that's a beautiful, beautiful prayer, Kellen. Yes, that we would be delivered from the lie of functionality and, and that what we do, it determines our worth and our value as opposed to really who we are. I like the phrase that, that we are under the smile of God. Where'd you hear that? Uh, it, that just happened. <laughs> I love that very much. I think and it I, was the whispers of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> probably, I feel like you should probably write a blog or something and make that the title because I think that's actually like a good thing. But I'm going to pray that right now and then I will, I, we will we'll wrap it up. Um, and I think we, I think in a lot of ways, I, I really feel super encouraged. I cried a bunch of times. So I feel like, yeah, that's good. I feel like we talked about Jesus. That was great. Um, all right. So Father, right now, I just pray uh, for Kellen and, and um, I pray God for Kellen and Jen. I pray for uh, Calvary Chapel. I pray, Father, for uh, the, the, the universal global family of Jesus. Um, and I pray, God, that you would deliver us from the lies of radical, independent individuality that stands in the way of true community and connection. And mm -hmm. I pray that you deliver us from the lie of functionality, that, that we, we are only worth what we do, and that you'd actually give to us the fruit of, this is what you have to do to do the work that I require. Believe. Believe in the one that, that mm -hmm. you've sent. And so, God, we just... We exchange right now the lie that we have to do all this work and we exchange it for God. I believe in the one that you've sent and I believe that he's this, he's the one that sustains my life, that Jesus, who I am with and in Jesus, that's all that really matters. And everything else can be um, a byproduct or of no account. Um, and so God, I just pray the blessing of, that grace over Kellen, over his life, over the movement that he serves, um, over the, the fellowship of churches that he, that he seeks to lead and guide and stand with and support. And um, God, I pray that for everyone that's going to listen to this, that, that you, it is possible to go, even and especially if you're in your darkest moment, it's possible to go from water to wine. Mm -hmm. And even as a Christian, whoa, yeah. Yeah possible to go from water to wine so god please continue to transform us into into the most beautiful beautiful version of who you are um, lord jesus we just commit our heart to you thank you so much amen amen all right fine then well thank you my brother i love you a lot i'm gonna oh yeah and thanks for tuning in how can people find you if they want to follow your radicalness oh gosh you don't want to follow me um they do I, 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 I don't frequent, but exist on Twitter. 
and nice. I, I more frequent um, Instagram. What's your What's your Instagram name? At Kellen Criswell. Okay, I'm gonna. Tag I, you. I I occasionally write at CalvaryChapel.com. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna put all the show notes in there. Thank you for being on this week for the Rev Talks podcast, listeners. If you need anything from us, questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at the Rev Gatherings at gmail.com. Love you lots. Okay, bye. Um, Hey you guys, Tommy Green here. Just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of the Rev Talks podcast. Our hope with each and every episode is that it would encourage you, maybe give you a reason to have a laugh, expand your capacity on the inside to love and empathy, appreciation, hopefully make your world just a little bit bigger and uh, give you faith, hope for the future. If you like what you heard, again, please share, subscribe, give us a good rating, give us some good feedback. Over all of this, thank you so much for taking us with you uh, in a small part of your day, on the drive, on on the run, you know, just as you're going about your day. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some time of your life with us on this podcast. Um, To connect with us, you can email us again at therevgatherings.com and we will see you on the next episode. Love you guys. Bye. Uh, just a quick sort of uh, promotion or commercial. Um, th- a lot of you guys know that Chrissy and I have a high commitment um, to the struggle and the fight to end uh, human trafficking in our generation. Uh, many of you guys know that we are the directors of a nonprofit called Run Against Traffic. And um, if you have any interest at all in joining the fight with us, if you are a runner or a walker or someone that cares about uh, seeing the survivors um, of human trafficking restored, seeing their lives put back together again after, you know, whatever circumstances and situations have brought them through this like terrible journey of force or fraud or coercion um, at the hands of human trafficking. Uh, we would just encourage you to visit um, irunagainsttraffic.com. Join the team, run with us. We do a monthly digital run on the 15th of every month. Uh, pick up some gear, uh, join a local running club and share the fight. Um, a lot of people don't exactly know how to get involved with such a big problem, but we just want to invite you guys to become part of um, the uh, Run Against Traffic community. Um, share this with a running friend, tell them about it. Uh, visit irunagainsttraffic.com to become part of our team today. Join us in the fight to not just end human trafficking, but um, recover and restore the victims of human trafficking in our generation. Appreciate you guys. Thanks.